And we're live. Welcome everyone to Don't Be Coy. I'm your host, Uncle Lou, and today I have the honor, the pleasure, and the utmost appreciation to have with me today, the Michael J. Cleveland. Michael, thank you for being on the show, sir. How are you doing this evening or afternoon? Hey, 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 all the way from the Midwest. I am doing pretty good, you know, enjoying this snowy weather in Chicago. (laughs) I appreciate the energy, man. I really appreciate the energy. If you would be so kind to give yourself like a little introduction so that the people at home can know who you are and all that kind of stuff. Oh, sure. Well, hey, everyone. My name is Michael J. I like to go by Michael J. because there are so many Michaels in the world. I need to be a little bit different. It's the start of, you know, that that brand, that legacy. So I am uh, born and raised in Natchez, Mississippi, the oldest sediment along the Mississippi River. Uh, I'm a graduate of Natchez High School, um, Tougaloo College, Morehouse School of Medicine's Master in Public Health Program. I have lived, you know, the South, the Pacific Northwest. Now I'm in the Midwest. Uh, my areas of like expertise of joy are like public health, healthcare operations, strategy, you know, their true operational piece. Uh, one thing I do like to do to like flow out steam or enjoy life is play tennis, watch anime and video games. And I am one of those introverted extroverts uh, that knows how to have a good time, but you know, knows when to relax. I like that homebody piece as well. One thing that you brought up real, there, real quick there is that you're a graduate of two HBCUs. Um, Tougaloo College and Morehouse. It's I'm I, I'm curious about like what made you decide to go to two HBCUs. It was a lot of influence, I think, from like my high school guidance counselors um, because they made sure that you saw the PWIs, you saw the HBCUs, you were knowledgeable about it, and you made rational like decisions. They didn't just, it wasn't a bias. Even though majority of them were HBCU graduates, it was no bias. They said, we're going to show you the entire world. And actually, I had no intentions of going to Tougaloo first. I was going to University of Louisiana and Monroe. Um, I was gun ho I was ready, but then that scholarship package came, and I said they lost their mind because um, I'm worth way more than just waving out of state. Um, and I did like a tour of Tougaloo College. I mean, literally, when I stepped off the bus, I knew it was that this was the place to be. I wanted to be a doctor, and Tougaloo was producing um, over 30% of the doctors in Mississippi, so it's a place to go. And they offered a full ride. So I said, well, why not? And, it, you know, the lessons learned and the passions developed from Tougaloo led me to Morehouse School of Medicine. Um, and it just extended even further there, you know, growing the network, being involved in like public health, the different hospital systems, CDC work, you know, a little academic teaching. Um, and it just I think it felt like home and allowed me to grow professionally in the right method. Yeah. No, I, I feel that. I feel that. So, I mean, you know, one thing that I feel like is really interesting is like you're a pretty you're an articulate individual when it comes to like um, sharing your experiences and like the diversity of it. And I think that to a lot of people, that's really impressive, which is true. You know what I'm saying? Like you've done a lot of great things and it's like. 
Um, it's you've leveraged like a lot of different key relationships and networks that you've built along the time. And like what's really interesting to me is like to some people, you know, that would make you a member of the talent teth, right? Like you've been a SGA president at Tougaloo. You are a Jackson Heart Study Scholar, which is, you know, like a really kind of for lack of a better term it's a prestigious role you know what i'm saying like mm -hmm. the opportunity to do like research at the undergraduate level and understanding like building those presentation skills and traveling to all these different things that exposes you to a lot of different um resources and like opportunities that a lot of people just aren't aware of you know what i mean so it's yeah. like is your HBCU experience like the HBCU experience that literally anybody can get from walking on on the campus or is it like what was it specifically about you or what did you do that let you led you to have those experiences you know what I mean you know I can't say that this type of experience is open to anyone that, you know, pursues this route, you know, not just HBCUs, but then it, uh, PWIs as well. But I think the fact of it at an HBCU, if a teacher or a mentor or someone on staff, you know, they see potential there and they see, you know, oh, there's someone that has a mission in mind. The fact that they will pour into you, make you aware of these opportunities, make sure, you know, I, I remember when we were going for, I was going for Jackson Heart Study. I was, you know, finding out like, hey, how would the interview be? You know, what interview prep can I do? Who can interview me before the interview? You know, they they helped us open up those type of opportunities to say like, okay, we know you're this boy from, you know, this small country town, you know, by <laughs> coming to Tougaloo, I had never flown that many places. My idea of a vacation and going out of town was a church convention. So I was like <laughs> a wild idea when it came there. But they provided these opportunities that allowed me to like, you know, go for it. And the thing about it is I was hungry for it. Mm -hmm. I was hustling. I was like, Oh, my family has sacrificed for me to be here. I'm not going to let them down. I'm still going to have a good time. I still had a good time, but I'm hungry for it. If there was an opportunity out there for it, I'm going to go get it. They will say, well, Michael, you know, uh, somebody else can get that. I say, well, somebody else don't want it. I want it. Yeah. If I can handle doing three, four, five things at the same time, balancing out the organizational structures or, you know, making sure my schedule is aligned, lack of sleep, you know, for a little while, I will sacrifice that now for myself in the end you know i started i started working working in like 2012 at a flower shop scrubbing buckets and from then i knew i got a hustle i said no i can't scrub no buckets the rest of my life you know so that helped spur that you know hungerness that led to Tougaloo. so when like it was an opportunity i'm gonna ask questions i'm gonna go for it and that's something that every individual can do they have to be open to constructive criticism they have to be open to like failure because Everything won't be good. I, re I remember one time I was in a lab. I was doing research. The biology professor came up to me and she said, you need to slow down uh, or you're going to fail my class. <laughs> you're doing too much. I appreciated that. I was like, okay, for a couple of weeks, let me back up, 
slow down on some things, study a little harder. I passed class with a B. I said, okay, I needed that. Other schools probably would have been like, keep going. If you fail, you're going to take my class next year. So, you know, the school really poured a lot into me. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that that's a, that's a key point that you end on there. Like the, that HBCU experience and like the difference with, I mean, one thing about Tougaloo is it's a it's a pretty small HBCU, right? So I mean, yeah. like the experience that you have there is probably similar to any kind of liberal arts college that is relatively small compared to like the FAMUs or like the Jackson States. You know, like I'm sure it's a little bit different. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But like the thing about at Tougaloo, like it's <laughs> you're absolutely right, like people who like care about you and be like want to sit you down and like give you that that real talk that we all essentially need you know what i'm saying and it's like i think that that's a a key point because college is really like an incubator right like you're you're sitting there getting these um nurturing like times and nurturing um skill sets to like build and go into the real world so it's like yeah. with Tougaloo or like HBCUs in general, like how do you feel like it helped in preparing you for the quote real world? I what, I think one of the things that, and it still helps me out in my professional development now is never judge a book by its cover there, you know, because it was some unique individuals that you will often overlook or think that are like, you know, kind of like insane or when, you know, being up to who they are, who were really sharp, who were able to like help me learn lessons, who were able to teach me or give me ideas or able to push and motivate me. Uh, my circle there is extremely important. I carry that circle even to now. Um, and the circle is what helped influence like that, you know, that shape and structure of my future. Um, so, you know, never judging that book by its cover was really key. And that's that real family circle vibe. It really like pushed strong there. I was like, if I failed, my friends would pick me up. Yeah. They'd be like, okay, all right, you failed this test. Let's study together to get that next test. And you, you, you didn't get that everywhere. And even in the work environment, I brought that over. You know, even if I'm working with a non-team player, I ensure that, oh, no matter what, I got to make sure this team wins or we look good or, you know, even if it's not reciprocated. Hey, that's okay. That's fine. Because that good energy, that good vibe is going to come back on me. Yeah, man. I think that's a that's a really good point that you bring up about like community and stuff and like having that like family and stuff like that. Like, I, I think that that's something that we all kind of desire to have, but like sometimes kind of struggle with, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, how can you, how did you go about um, uh, building community, like with all the different places that you've been? Because it's like, you left like your small town of Natchez, right? To come to like Tougaloo, then go from Tougaloo, go to Atlanta. And then from Atlanta to a whole different side of like the South to where the Pacific Northwest and now in the Midwest, like, you know, how did you go about building those communities in those different pockets of the world but then at the same time like you just said you know you've maintained them and it's like 
I think that that's a really impressive thing to be able to move and like realize the importance of community, but like not build just phased community. These are things that you're really and truthfully being strategic about and like who are the people you're bringing into your life and like how they can help you in getting to your next step and how you maintain those relationships. That's really impressive, man. So, um, hmm, yeah, my, I would say my brain started like, it started like turning because I, as I think about my journey, I'm like, wow, how, how did it? Part of it, I'll be very honest, part of it was, you know, how I was raised. I was raised in a warm and welcome environment. Um, you know, I always have been outspoken. You know, they heard me before they saw me, you know. They were like, oh, we hear that's Michael coming, you know. So it was always sort of like this Southern charm, um, you know, that I tend to develop from being in Natchez where Two Glue had polished it up, you know, put that little business acumen spin on it, you know, that true <laughs> networking connection. Um, and even in Morehouse, because each, each place, you know, I had to develop that new circle or that new friend group or that new boundary to think about like, you know, Tougaloo, I wasn't still too far from home. When I came to Tougaloo, there were a bunch of people from Natchez there. They were already established who introduced me to their circles and it grew from there, you know, and then part of my freshman cohort, I saw being new. We learned from there. Morehouse um, School of Medicine, I came there. I did like a summer internship there called Project Emotip amazing um, internship for anyone interested in public health. This would truly tell you if you want to go into public health. Um, and I think for my internship, I was at the, oh my goodness, I'm going to say it wrong and they're going to get so mad at me. The cab, yeah, the cab County uh, Public Health Department. And then so I went back to Morehouse School of Medicine. From that summer, I had connections. You know, I knew people there, a couple of classmates were entering the MPH program with me, and I was able to build off of it. Most of it is because, you know, at times I can't get a little spicy. I can't get a little spicy. But now it's, you know, that of like, oh, we remember who we were, good times. It was a great vibe. You know, you were genuinely looking out for us, or, you know, I try to show that genuine care. Um, and if, you know, if it wasn't a good personality mix, I respected that boundary and I didn't force it and kept going. <laughs> when it got to the Pacific Northwest, it was complete like everyone called me crazy for going up there to Oregon. But I realized one thing I said in Atlanta, I'm number 385 with an MPH degree. You got like five schools churning out MPHs in the you know in, in the city and you know the surrounding counties and whatnot i said well if i go to oregon i am the um the new mph graduate fresh off the scene from grad school a part of the healthcare administration fellowship i'm michael j um you know i'm not number 300 and whatever yeah. so going there was everyone's like he don't know nobody he ain't got no family you know, literally when I got there, I I wasn't as nervous as I should have been because I'm like, oh, I done did this several times. I restart over. It ain't, you know, it's that's what life is about. You know, I won't, you know, some people get a community and they're like, oh, I'm staying in that community all my life. That's fine. That's good. But I'm like, but there's more to the world. Let me go ahead and piece all these connections together. So got to Oregon and it was first very hard, but like my second day there, 
I had family who are from Chicago, who have roots in Mississippi. They took me under their wing. They guided me. Uh, they're the Williams. And they were there. We joined, I joined the NAACP. They introduced me to folks, you know, and then from the work environment, I get to know people, learn lessons around who to trust, who not to trust, who has my best intentions out. And it's really for me, like being that going out there for it. You know, I wasn't afraid if rejection happened, it happened. If I caused harm, I learned the lesson. I learned that lesson. It made me a better. I used every opportunity to grow. And I also realized like, as now these networks, you know, I got the network from Natchez. I got the network from Tougaloo, the network from Morehouse and Atlanta. Now the network from the Pacific Northwest. And now it carried over to Chicago. Well, once again, I started over from scratch building that community that by, you know, meeting people and, you know, establishing once again, who I am. And at times it's hard, it will never be easy, but it's worthwhile to make this journey, make these sacrifices and steps. <laughs> yeah, man. No, I think um, it's hilarious how strategic you are. Cause you made a really good point, right? Like you don't want to be like, um, one in a you don't want to be one in a million or like one in several thousand or whatever you want to be like um that big fish in that small pond and like that's essentially like what you can do like <laughs> and it makes sense now because it's just like you went to Tougaloo right and I mean like Tougaloo mm-hmm. is um a small school and like if you show that grit and like show that you're interested and just always raise your hand to things you know you become a superstar and you get that opens doors um and then from going to there you're like okay cool like i want to do this public health thing and like let me learn in a place where public health is done so you move to a place where public health is done and like you learn a lot about public health but when it came to making your own move you were like nah let me go um to a place where it's just like it's a little little less competition so like you did your fellowship and like uh, Oregon and stuff like that and you learned a lot and um, it like you said it was kind of like a challenge for you um, personally and professionally and now you know you're in Chicago and it's just like I mean think about this man like you're an associate director of operations like um, at your very like ripe middle 20s you know what I'm saying like that's a, a very impressive move and like um, it was sounds like a strategic move from um, gathering and getting that experience that you got in um, what's it called like uh, Oregon in that fellowship program. And, you know, I think, <laughs> you know, you had the fortune and misfortune, right? Like I always mm-hmm. try to see the glass half full where it's like, um, there's a pandemic and you were in a role and by being that person one of (laughs) one of a few you know what I mean and raise your hand and say hey I do it and like you learned a lot running those different programs in your organization and like that's what shot you to being in Chicago and like being in the roles that you are you know what I mean Yes. And, you know, um, the fellowship, you know, I am so proud to say I was their first African-American uh, fellow 
um, and came in with that different mindset. Most of the times they have people with MBAs or MHAs. I came in with that MPH. So I, per, I had that different like viewpoint of how operation goes, how healthcare looks, you know, what does population health even involve? How does that strategy come into play? And I became one of those you know, key players when it came to like, oh, our population health strategy, our diversity and inclusion strategy. You know, I would tell them, I say there are a handful of African-Americans and, you know, in the organization and administration. You know, I think we had one in chaplain services, a few in tech. I was one of the only ones in like fully administration. And, you know, why is that a problem? One is recruiting who wants to come to the Northwest. Understandable. The other is, you know, the history of Oregon. If you really look into Oregon's history, last white is supposed to be the last white utopia of America. And some of that plays a role. But the organization I was a part of, Salem Health, was very, you know, looking at like, how are we going to tackle this? And then from there, they gave me opportunities. Like I started out the fellowship looking at those different like population health and those key things, those strategy to when COVID hit you know, came over like their um, their COVID, you know, COVID operations when it came to like screening and helping to make policies and, you know, getting those operations kind of like going in the flow. You know, I think it was, I think we had like 12 plus, yeah, 12 plus greeter stations for them 24 hours. We had policies for primary care clinics, policies for the hospital, the rural hospital, the regional, so many things. And I was lucky enough to be in a room full of individuals that will say, hey, Michael, we're allowing you, you're going to be in charge of this portion of the COVID operations and we're going to be here. We we are going to be there with you. You know, we're going to help make policies. We're going to help make the changes. We're going to help develop the, the four steps, the lean, you know, the lean projects. And it was really instrumental in giving me the, you know, foundations that I needed in healthcare. I had some for working at an accountable care organization called Morehouse Choice. You know, in the CDC, that background, doing contract work with them. But it really shot forward there. And I can say everyone knows a healthcare, you know, Melvin, you did a healthcare administration fellowship. They are the fast track. They say, people, why y'all do that? I said, well, a healthcare administration fellowship is a fast track to the C-suite. Yeah. And to the C-suite, you know, we learn things and we're privy to things that a lot of people don't get to see. We're in those C-suite meetings, seeing how the strategy of the organization to run, how much money is made, what are the financial stops, what are the operational things we need to jump over, joint commission audits. We're in that room learning and feeding and observing, and it's such a privilege. And I came from, Salem Health was a magnet hospital. They were a lean hospital. I learned from, I like to call them the hidden jewel of the Northwest. I learned from one of the best places ever. And it carried over to, you know, Howard Brown, um, where I came here, started off with COVID operations, successfully launched four large COVID operations in less than three weeks throughout the city. We were in key areas where we were sending underserved populations of Latino, African-American population. You know, we went from a small team on COVID to over, you know, we, we increased over 60 some percent. You know, it was such a joy, you know, doing those things. And to now where I'm working with behavioral health, social services and doing those operational things. So um, it, it, it was a true journey. And, you know, my time at Salem Health, it was the fellowship. It was COVID operations. It was 
specialty services around cardiac and oncology, the business manager aspect and learning the finance and strategy of that and working with specialty doctors till now that work is coming back into play because once again, I'm working with specialty with psychiatry and therapists and I'm like, look at, it all was full circle. That sacrifice because yeah. going to Oregon was a sacrifice. <laughs> but I met some extremely wonderful people. Me and you were able to go grow closer. You know, it was like this was that chapter I needed. I look back at Oregon with fond memories around the people I met, yeah. the journeys that was taken. I'm like, yes, that was the right decision. No regrets. Yeah. No, I I I, I totally understand that. And like, you know, I think that it speaks volume to it, right? Like you made that sacrifice so that um while you were making that next strategic move so that you could do things that, you know, you could bet on yourself. You realized early on in your career, it's like, you know, I need to learn some stuff and like, let me learn in a place where I can really like sink my teeth into it and like really get opportunities. And then now you can make the decision to, uh, bet on yourself and go to a place where you want to go to, like you, you know, have family, friends, all those different types of things in Chicago. It's closer to home in theory, like as far as like a plane ride and all that kind of stuff compared to the kind of traveling you got to do from Oregon and stuff. And like from a work perspective, you're doing things that you um, learned and learning. Um, but then also you're doing like that mission driven work too, right? Like where your yes. organization, like, I think that one thing that I really appreciate about it is it like it really focuses on community health, specifically amongst the LGBTQ community, because, I mean, you know, the reality is like there's disparities amongst all communities. You know what I'm saying? And like um, any time that you don't acknowledge the healthcare disparities amongst the one group, then you're really and truthfully becoming them. Right. And you never want to be them because it's those who are against you as well. So it's like, you know, treat others like you want to be treated and stuff. Um, but I, I think, you know, what's even more interesting about it is like that connection of doing like that kind of mission driven work and like your graduate thesis work that you did at Morehouse. And so like, you know, if you could talk a little bit about like that thesis work that you did and like how, even connecting that public health degree into your operations because you're right like a lot of people who do operations have healthcare administration um, um business administration backgrounds things like that but public health i think it's what i like about it it it's a it, it's a feel good degree, right? You know, you're mm -hmm. you're trying to create world peace. <laughs> Wash your hands. <laughs> there you go, scrub it up. <laughs> because we all want to be like healthy and stuff, and like to do that in operations, like how how does that feel? You know, you know the. The public, you, I, you know, shout out to, uh, I, I have to say shout out to Dr. Wendy White because when I was trying to find out my next steps, uh, Dr. White made a very clear statement to me. Um, very honestly, Melvin, I, I was about to do Teach for America and go to Jackson State and what? stay in Jackson. What? Uh, Dr. White said, no, 
you're applying to Morehouse, and if you get in, you're going because you have to spread your wings. And that really catapulted how my next that. journeys in life kind of went. I don't even know if she remembers that conversation. I bet she does, man. She remembers everything. At, you know, Morehouse School of Medicine, their MPH program was focused around community. You know, a lot of programs say, oh, we're going to do community. No. Second week in the class, we were in the community. We were serving or servicing, volunteering, doing the work in their knee deep, seeing how policies that that came down the pipeline affected the community and vulnerable populations. And I was able to see firsthand like what the public health degree means. You know, when public health first started, a lot of people didn't want it or know about it. Now everybody and their mama want a public health degree. <laughs> I said, well, okay, I want to do the public health degree. You know, I'm going for community. Then I said, oh, community don't pay. I said, oh, I want to support the community, but I need a little coin because uh, <laughs> I can't just do the that portion of it. So that's why I found it to help the administration. And I began to tailor focus how I took my classes. Had a wonderful mentor there, um, uh, Dr. Renetta Waldrop, and I also had some guidance from Dr. Um, uh, Herman Taylor, who was over the Jackson Heart Study. And those two individuals really said like, hey, uh, if you want to do this health administration route, these are the classes to take, these are the places to do, internships to do. And I focused all of my skills. Like I was in the budgeting class, strategic operations class. I was doing yeah. courses at Clark and other places to say like, I need all the pieces needed. Yeah. So I knew that my MPH, that focused on health administration and policy, it will bolster me because I'm going in these operational view rooms with a different lens. Yeah. And so my research reflected that. Yeah. You know, coming from Mississippi where cardiovascular disease is such a rampant high rate, insurance is all types of crazy. My my uh, thesis was around metabolic syndrome, which is a cluster of diabetes and uh, different, you know, high blood pressure and different sort of things that are attributed to uh, cardiovascular uh, increase in cardiovascular disease. And it tied into like your health insurance and the type of healthcare facility that you went to. And, you know, the, the research was astounding. You know, we, you know, to see it proofly in hardcore data that those who have heart cardiovascular disease were uninsured or on Medicaid and Medicare or went to FHQCs and those with better health outcomes, they were commercially insured. They went to some, you know, some of the top rated hospitals or even there was a small group that were commercially insured, but still had, you know, poor health outcomes. Mm-hmm. Why is that? You know, and I focused my research on that because I was like, mm, I, let me look into this on how I can better inform my family, my friends, my community around this. I begin to inform people around, you know, there's charity care. You know, if you can't afford it, but you still need health care, hospitals can write those bills off in order to make sure that, you know, they're going to get a right tax write off. They're going to do a story on you, but you have a healthier outcome. You know, don't let finances come in the way of this. There are yeah. insurance navigators. There are benefit navigators. There are all types of things to where if you think you can't afford an office visit, yes, you can. Yeah. Annual health wellness visits, they are free. Go get them done. Your insurance is Medicaid, Medicare, you know, TRICARE. They will pay for that preventive medicine. You know, bringing that into the to the rooms where they talk about money, money, money. It's like, hey, let's look at like how this is impacting our vulnerable populations and tying in my research with that. 
you know, it, it blended all the pieces together. I was like, oh, this is the, the sweet spot for me in operations and strategy in public health. And I knew it was for me. I was like, oh, this this is my niche. And I love it. <laughs> no, man, I get that. I get that. So, like, <laughs> I can tell, like, the that you've really found, like, what you love doing and stuff like that. Because it's just, like success that you've had in your career too it shows like um you know engaging in like not only work that you do from like your day job but also like nonprofit work that you do and supporting like other organizations and like building up their operations or like working with like hpc other hbcu graduates or uncf or like um the tougaloo alumni association and like all these different things that you do to leverage like your skill sets um, to help those who helped you. And it's like never forgetting where you come from and all that kind of stuff, man. You, you're, you're definitely like killing the game with all that kind of stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Oftentimes I, um, you know, those of us on this path, we often suffer from imposter syndrome. So we really don't see the impact that our journey is causing. So sometimes we need, you know, that's also thankful to have friends like you, you those that reaffirm reaffirmation that's needed. You know, I do the same thing to you um, around like your path and your role and all the things that you're doing. And it's just like, okay, it helps us realize like, hey, we started from the bottom. You know, we, you know, there's a saying, you know, I still got dirt under my fingers from how I had to claw myself from the bottom. You know, and it's you, it's true. I'm over here like, yeah, and I'm, some people would be ashamed. I'm over here like, I'm proud of that journey. I'm so thankful for my upbringing and all the impact work. And, you know, shout out to Blue College National Alumni Association, United Negro College National Alumni Association, uh, National Alumni Council, for believing in me as a young leader and how I have grow and grown in those roles and impacting those organizations. You know, I'm all about HBCUs and fundraising scholarship dollars. You know, so make sure y'all <laughs> donate over to Blue College or to the UNCF uh, to make sure that next generation of, you know, disenfranchised or vulnerable population students, they have this opportunity that we had to go to college for free or with heavy scholarships on their side. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. I get that completely. So, like, let me ask you this. You you talked a lot about, like, how, you know, you found your niche, you found your calling, all those kind of things. Like, how close do you think that you are to your goal? Like, whether it's professionally, personally, whatever, you know what I'm saying? You've been making a lot of moves to get you to this point. And, like, you know, I think when I listen to you talk and like even just, you know, over these past couple of minutes and stuff like that, like, I really think that, you know, you're, you're really taking those steps to where you want to be. Like you see the man that you want to be and like, you're, you're literally taking the correct actions to get to that point. How close do you, do you feel like you are? You know, this, I often think about that, you know, when it comes to professionally um, and personally for the last sort of like almost decade, personally suffered. I was, you know, excuse the language, I was a career whore. 
I was in it, you know, whatever it took to reach that professional goal. You know, I sacrificed a lot personally. You know, now I think that I'm a place professionally where I am challenged daily. I'm, I am growing consecutively. You know, I'm still hungry for that knowledge. But, it, you know, everything is on the pathway. I'm being mentored and poured into, um, you know, in the organization I'm in now. You know, I think I'm at that that good spot to be like, Michael, it is okay to be like you. You know, you're at a good spot now. Enjoy the fruits of your labor. So what that means now for me is like that personal life balance. Like I'm trying to connect more with friends and family and like, you know, bridging some of those gaps that I've lost behind, making sure that I'm there for my family, making sure I'm there for my friends and like who I am as a person. Because who I am as a person got lost for a second. You know, we're a professional student. I say, well, Michael, you're more than a professional student. You know, so I'm carving that piece out more daily. You know, that's one of my goals for this year. It's like, you know, Michael, truly, what are some things you truly love, learn, you know, want to learn? You know, what are some of those things that you want to dive deeper into yourself? You know, starting therapy, you know, one of, you know, that was sometimes was very hard, you know, because people... Yeah. In the African-American community or, in, yeah, or in even people of color community, they often associate what you do with who you are. And I'm at this point now, it's like, oh, okay, Michael, you are, okay, you're part of senior leadership. Okay, that's good. But besides that, who are you? And that has been, this, these last couple months of finding that or being in that, you know, that spot of like focusing and find clarity on that and using this 2021 year or, you know, it may even spill over 2023, learning that, I think that is that that portion I'm at now. I'm you know hungry for, um, and professionally, one thing I do know is you know eventually I do want to become C-suite or you know become a senior consultant. But the one thing that I see so clearly, anytime people ask me that question, is I want to become a professor. You know, I mm -hmm. see myself teaching the next generation of students what it means to move in this public health space in this operational space. You know, you know how to get to how to not make the mistakes I made, learn from me. You know how to truly go into this world because healthcare it is an old boys club, and you know the struggles and the things that you know you and I had to fight through. How can I make that easier for the next generation? Because you know, even getting into our fellowships hard. You know, when I tell people yeah. the process of going into a, a fellowship, I mean, it is grueling. It is worse than going through C-suite interviews. Like, we go through <laughs> several layers. So, you know, becoming a professor, you know, preferably at the HBCU, you know, I shout out teaching to that next generation of students. I think that that's what I see ultimately at the end goal, professionally and personally. I'm still on that journey and I'm okay with admitting that. I'm, a, I'm still on that journey and finding out, hey, who is Michael J. personally and his likes, his dislikes, his, his grievances, his love life, his, you know, friendships, relationships, his family, you know, how does that look for him? Yeah. No, man, that's a that's a really great summation. Like, I really think like when you get to that point of becoming a professor, because like that's a reality, too. Right. Um, I think that literally you you have the, the blueprint for it. Literally what we just talked about. I think it's a really good guide towards anyone who wants to get into healthcare administration. Um, and I think that, you know, really and truthfully, uh, 
I share the show notes with you and all that kind of stuff. So it's just like you can even just take your own notes of what you just said and like um, package that into some material. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like um, you you do the consulting work. Right. And I think that you can teach the classes and I think that you have um, the blueprint for it. And I mean, you know, like I don't necessarily know who all is listening and all that kind of stuff, but like whenever you share this with people and like more and more people listen to it, that's more opportunities to, to make this a thing happen. Cause you, you know what to do. You know what I'm saying? Like not only, um, so I think that's the concept about the talent and 10th, right? It's like, there's the talented Teth that like is the leadership class of like the African-Americans. But then there's the guided 100 or something like that. That is this diverse group of representation from all the different communities and how they're going to help overall. And I think that, you know, that's what you're trying to do. You're you're taking your experiences from your opportunities that you've gotten and trying to give back in the end. I think that's a beautiful thing, man. Yeah, and you know, bringing that next group up is sometimes the hard part because you meet resistance or you take mentees under your wing and some don't realize, like, that push you have to do. I let people know, like, hey, my social capital is extremely important. You know, I'm not just going to recommend you to something or recommend you for anything. You got to prove it show their worth and i i expect the same in return like if i if someone puts their name on the line for me i had to make sure i earned their respect and their things from there so you know it is a journey but some individuals get to this level or go higher and forget and i'm like no that can't be me my grandmother often reminds me of like where i come from and what the roots mean and like you know hey you were born in the country you were born here and this is where you come from and don't forget that and you know we value that so that's why we gotta reach back and get to that next generation yeah no i get that well thank you man i really appreciate your time and stuff i just want to go through these last little lightning questions with you and stuff and uh i'll let you get back to your life how's that sound oh that sounds pretty good all right so what's your favorite relaxation or self-care activity or watching anime (laughs) what's your favorite anime show right now right now it is that time i got reincarnated as a slime i'm a big isek fan so these are like the anime where you're transported to a different world or reborn as like a hero oh okay Oh man, I've never seen that one before. I'm really big in like Demon Slayer and all that kind of stuff right now. And like, I've been trying to stick to One Piece. I know how you feel about that. (laughs) (laughs) What's your uh, best book recommendation? Um, Best book recommendation is Good to Great by Jim Collins. It is an absolute necessary read for anyone interested in any type of leadership position or any type of growing your company excellent book that is like I any interview I'm in I mentioned that book it's, it's pretty standard um, even as I teach my my team I'm like hey one of the mandatory readings we're going to do for the year is good to great I want you to see what Jim is talking about so we can learn from there sounds good sounds good and one person you want to thank for your journey thus far I would have to say my grandmother I would like to thank my grandmother for her and my grandfather's sacrifice and for like pushing and allowing me to be me 
because uh, I was very different from uh, the other, the, my uh, uncle and my father. I was very different. Um, <laughs> they allowed me to be me. They were there. They picked me up from tennis practice, took me places. They let me, wherever I moved, they were there. They made sure, like, their first flight ever was to Oregon, and they did not want to fly, but I was like, you're flying. Uh, so I just really thank them for being part of it. So instrumental in this, uh, my journey and my life. Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate you being on the show, man. And like any other, any other final thoughts you want to share, share before, like we close this out. I just want to say thank you so much for allowing me this opportunity to be the first guest. Yeah. I'm a little nervous, but I'm looking forward <laughs> to uh, your journey with don't be coy. I know it's going to be an amazing podcast. Um, and I, once again, Hey y'all donate to two college and United Eagle college fund. Let's make sure those people of color and their students get what they need when it comes to financial assistance and scholarship dollars. <laughs> Thank you, man. Really appreciate it. This has been another episode of Don't Be Coy with Uncle Lou. As always, I'd like to thank this episode's guest for a great conversation, as well as thank you, the listener, for joining in. Whether you're a first-time listener or a regular, I always appreciate your support. If you like today's episode and ever want to listen to more, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And to join our community and access future bonus content, be sure to visit dbkpodcast.com.